0: Sustainability is not a high priced lifestyle it's not just you know driving a Tesla and having a solar roof it's making kind of everyday consumption decisions to be more prudent, frugal, and thoughtful with your resources and millions of Americans are doing this every day for us this kind of moment of high inflation high interest rates where, where folks have to be you know more considerate about their spending actually creates an opportunity to say hey here's a few different things how you can actually save some real money, get some extra cash back, and also have a positive impact on the planet.
1: Hi, I'm Connor Gon and welcome to Consensus in Conversation, a podcast where I speak with optimistic innovators who are working to create a strong, sustainable economy. Today, I'm joined by Jean-Louis Warnholtz, co-founder and CEO at Future. If there's one motivating force strong enough to provoke behavior change, it's money. Just ask the travel companies with their rewards cards and the popular websites whose hacks help us build up a bank of points or miles. Could this also work for positive social change? Could this be part of a solution towards decarbonization? From charging EVs to buying sustainable brands to taking public transit, there are countless decisions that we can take to cut carbon pollution in our daily lives. and In an aggregate, these changes can make a big difference. Jean-Louis recognized the great potential of aligning our buying behaviors with rewards, and so he created the Future Credit Card. Future incentivizes users to make environmentally conscious purchases through the power of giving consumers cash back. These monetary rewards increase the value of actions that already save us money, helping consumers realize that sustainability and personal savings are directly connected. So, thanks so much for doing this. We're really excited to have this conversation. I think when I first read about what Future was doing, it, it was uh, such a cool, innovative idea, and so we are thrilled to get the story and to hear from you and hear your story a little bit. Why don't we start with that? Give us a little bit about yourself.
0: Yeah, well, Connor, thank you so much for for having me on the on on the show, and and I appreciate the the kind introduction. Uh, I think for most of my life, my kind of big passion was really moving you know, more business, more investment, more opportunity into emerging markets uh, around the world where I've had opportunity to spend a bunch of time.
1: You've mentioned it spent a lot of time in emerging markets, spent a lot of time in the finance world, I think worked overseas for a very long time. I'm curious how that affected your insights and your kind of perspective on what you do now and how you have built future
0: I get up every morning with almost an obsession to kind of move future forward and, and make sure that, you know, we have measurable, meaningful impact in, in terms of how we show up in the fight against climate change. And I think. That deep passion I think was was formed by seeing what happens to communities in eastern parts of Kenya, for example, when a flood happens or a drought happens, right? There are no safety nets. There are the kind of heat waves that you know we've seen here in 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 parts of of, of the US or even in Canada. A really kind of commonplace, right? There's no AC, there's no kind of opportunity to to find shelter. And so I think that kind of really informs my my kind of day-to-day thinking and and that sense of urgency I think is really radiating through everyone on the on the future team. And I think that's been a reason why we've been moving at, you know, what is a pretty unsustainable pace for a sustainability company, I would say
1: we talk a lot here about personal but also corporate pivots, the P word. And I'm curious if there was a point in your early career when you decided to make a big change and and head this direction. What was it about the misalignment of economic incentives and, and the changing climate that was like an aha moment and, and, and a pivot?
0: Yeah, so I think, it, so for me, I kind of seen kind of firsthand what the impact and really the early impact of, of climate change is on communities I care deeply about and, and spend a lot of time, a lot of time with. And so I think that was the kind of initial catalyst. And then I think the future really came about as I was looking at what can I do as an individual Concretely to move from a very high carbon footprint, which is really atrociously high, to a significantly lower carbon footprint. And I thought that, you know, there are no real incentives for me as a consumer because carbon is experienced as something that's super cheap, right? I tried out some apps and they would basically sell me a subscription to become carbon neutral for the price of a Netflix subscription. You know, I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to change anything and I just couldn't buy into that. I then looked at how many trees I would have to plant. And I figured out that, you know, as a family, we would have to plant over 7,000 trees and really look after them. And it's like our own family forest. And we're just, you know, an average American family. And so as I was thinking through this, that, you know, didn't seem like the kind of best path to to go down. And so we just decided, you know, let's just cut carbon aggressively, right? Let's move to electric driving. Let's get solar. We switched all of our fashion consumption to secondhand clothing, which, you know, for any family out there, best choice ever. I mean, my kids couldn't care less, saving a ton of money, getting extra cash back with the future card. It's like a no-brainer choice. Like I should have done this years ago. Um and, and that has real impact. And so we started kind of really quantifying that impact. And we realized that we are saving tons and tons of carbon and having a far greater impact than we could have had if we were, you know, going to kind of plant our own family forest with thousands of, of trees. And so I think the the key observation was that the price of carbon is kind of missing in the economy, right? It doesn't show up when I ask to get my stuff delivered in two hours. It doesn't show up when I fly or when I you know buy disposable fashion. And that's what future's in the business of changing. Like I want the price of carbon to be pervasive, valuable, and really visible at the point of sale for for consumers in in, in our daily lives, and I convinced that I think this is kind of how we can change the dynamic because once something has a price right we are much more thoughtful about you know how we engage with it
1: there's a value associated with it a value and a cost
0: exactly yeah.
1: so give us the the real quick elevator pitch how you would describe future
0: basically can a future monetizes your your, your carbon uh, savings to, to grow the sustainable economy. So we pay you to cut carbon. We do that with our financial tools. So we were the first that launched a debit card that gives you 5% cash back on purchases that are better for the planet, whether that's taking the train or buying secondhand or charging your car. We have about 50,000 businesses where you get extra cash back for all the stuff that is better for, for the planet and now with future coins which we just released we're taking this one step further and we're actually paying you for every ton of carbon that you reduce by making kind of smart choices in your day-to-day life that's kind of it in a nutshell
1: between your experience and your revelations and where the business is today what was the the actual origin story how did it like give us the kind of the early days where were you and how did you and the founding team get things built
0: so i've i've been kind of Pondering this for, for a while, we really started out cutting carbon in our own lives. And we found a community of, you know, folks that wanted to do the same and found this really difficult. And I didn't understand why it had to be so difficult. And I remember we we took a, a drive with a family during COVID to go camping in, in Arcadia, the national park up up in Maine. I have kids and they asked me, look, you know, what are we doing to fight climate change? And the answer at the time was absolutely nothing right? I think we've been thinking about it, but nothing decisive was happening. And so it was on this trip, I decided, look, that's it. I'm just going to dedicate the next part of my career to doing whatever I can to fight climate change so that when my kids ask me that question a couple of years from now, I can say, well, we did this, this, and this. And you know, we think that we made a contribution in this kind of bigger fight. So that was the kind of aha moment. And I am extremely fortunate to kind of call my Co-founder and and CTO uh, Kamal, a, a close friend, and he was the smartest people I knew when it comes to kind of data and and kind of building systems and really solving the data problem at at the heart of this. And so I called him. He loved it. He was in, and there was future.
1: And like many good startups, began with a product that you built or that a need you had for yourself.
0: Yeah, and and actually, you know, fun story. I I, I never really share this, but. In the beginning, we said, look, let's just put everything out there. So we actually had a website, my wife and I, where everything we bought, right, from my my underwear to the milk to our toothpaste, we would go up and we would ask the kind of, you know, friends in, in the climate community, let's kind of figure out, like, what is our real carbon footprint? Not something I put in a calculator, but if you actually look at everything that we bought, how does that measure up? And that was a really interesting exercise because we realized that some of the things that are really high in our kind of day-to-day conversations, like flying, for example, actually has a far lower impact in our lives than the kind of fashion that we buy and how we think about day-to-day consumption choices. And we saw from the data that that's actually true for a lot of American families. And so sometimes the way to really move the needle isn't necessarily the hard stuff. You know, if, if you have to kind of fly to see friends and family, you're not going to give this up. But if the decision is, you know, am I going to shop at Lululemon or Lululemon-like new? Yeah, I'm going to go with Lululemon-like new because why not? And I think that was kind of really important for us to refine the data and, and also kind of understand how future can position ourselves to make a real difference that is measurable. Because I am I have zero interest to just build a feel-good company that doesn't move the needle. I think the, the reason we're, we're at this is because... We we want to have kind of real impact that you can measure in tons and tons of carbon reduction that is kind of happening across folks who are joining us. And we want to see, you know, millions of, of people make climate-smart choices because it's a good economic choice that is better for them and, and their families.
1: To do that requires at least two things, probably many, many more. <laughs> but the first probably is to educate consumers. And the second is probably to brand this or to challenge... Th- the historic notion of cutting carbon, living sustainably as something that costs you something, a, you know, a brand negative, and instead find a way to make this a value add to someone's life. So it's kind of a branding problem. In, in either direction, with either one, I'm curious kind of for your take on those two components that are kind of requisite if you're going to get a bunch of people to sign up and then drive millions and millions and millions of tons
0: of carbon out of the marketplace. Yeah. And for us, I think the reason to first show up in the market with a debit card that gives you 5% cashback if you take the train. Like it's as simple as that, right? There's no fee. It's super simple to sign up. Nobody else gives you cashback to take the train. Nobody else gives you cashback right now to, to shop secondhand. I think that was a no brainer. And I think what we've realized is that the kind of education, the, the information challenge is far greater than we thought. And so we, we spoke to folks who love secondhand shopping. And love thrifting, but they didn't know that some of the biggest brands that they shop at all the time actually have these amazing new kind of re-commerce resale marketplaces where they can kind of go straight to the website and get top-notch quality at a significant discount. I think they're like sometimes, you know, when, when disruption happens so quickly in the market, it takes a while to catch up, right? I, you know, we, we have this, this partner, uh, Plant Burger, they make fantastic um, kind of plant-based burgers. And when I had first, you know, a couple of years ago, tried plant-based meat, I was not a fan at all. And that kind of, you know, had kind of stuck with me until I tried their new burgers. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. And so sometimes we have kind of sticky assumptions. And in a place that is as disrupted and as fast moving as the sustainable economy, there is constantly an information problem. Right, like, folks still think that you can't charge your car anywhere, and you're going to break down on the way from here to New York. But there is not the kind of pervasive understanding that you know you have thousands, literally thousands, of charging stations, many at which you know takes you 20 minutes to fully charge your car. So, so there is an information problem that we're solving. So, I think that's that's the the kind of first piece. And I think as a brand, yeah, we we want to be exciting and fun. And I think the way we show up in the marketplace is very optimistic and and kind of colorful and, and very differentiated because we want to celebrate climate smart living like we don't want it to suck we want it to be exciting
1: and put those two things together and you've got a, a real opportunity i, I know, you know so many folks assume that when you're buying something that is you know climate friendly you're giving up on quality or you're giving you know, or you're or you're paying more for the green premium, so to speak. That seems like both a branding opportunity and an education necessity, like, combined into one.
0: <laughs> I love that you, you asked that question. Like, this um, a journalist I was, I was chatting with some time ago, and, and I think she expressed some concern given budgets are, are getting tighter and you know, inflation, interest rates are, are rising, that that would really create challenges for the kind of sustainable marketplace. And I, I didn't understand why she was, you know, I just didn't really didn't understand the question. And I think the genesis of the question was because she was thinking about sustainability in terms of brands that are high priced, you know, that use recycled materials that often kind of sell sustainability as part of their ethos and tend to have much higher price points, right? We're thinking about Goodwill, right? You, you get 5% cash back if you shop at Goodwill. You have folks that are taking the train or that are, you know, biking places. And and sustainability is not kind of a, a high priced lifestyle. It's not just, you know, driving a Tesla and having a solar roof. It's making kind of everyday consumption decisions to be more prudent, frugal, and thoughtful with your resources. And millions of Americans are doing this every day. And so for us, this kind of moment of High inflation, high interest rates where, where folks have to be more considerate about their about their spending, actually creates an opportunity to say hey here 's a few different things how you can actually save some real money, get some extra cash back, and also have a positive impact on the planet
1: so the other side of the market based equation for the consumer, which you just mentioned, are the companies, the brands um, you 've got fifty some thousand What's the sales pitch to to brands to be a part of this network?
0: Yeah, it's actually very simple. Because if you're a brand that is in the business of producing climate-friendly, low-carbon products and services, we are building a membership base that is passionate about lowering their carbon footprint and buying these things. And so I think there's a, a very direct alignment because we're not asking you to offset your carbon footprint or plant trees or, or the like. We're basically creating incentives to shop at, at, at places that are bringing innovations into the marketplace that make it easier to live a, a climate friendly lifestyle. So I think there's a very kind of nice alignment. And, and the way we're kind of thinking about future now as, as we grow is, is basically the most rewarding way to pay in the sustainable economy. It's a, an ecosystem of brands that are innovating, that are coming out with amazing new products that allow us to, you know, enjoy life and do so in a way that is more in tune with with the climate and, and with the planet.
1: And we're certainly seeing with many companies an excitement or an interest in growing their market by looking at new options, including the circular economy. And I know there's a couple that you guys have partnered with that are that are the big names maybe more the prestige brands like lululemon which has a resale program give us your take on the circular economy as kind of a uh high level
0: yeah it, i mean it, it's it's kind of one of the the kind of biggest levers in 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 my mind and i think one that we don't talk enough about like it's not kind of you know one of the top three or four things that that kind of people mention when when they think about it climate action again flying and and you know driving your car and, and and those things come up more frequently but i think the the trend lines that we've seen around fast fashion for example or you know the fact that we need a new phone every year instant delivery or ordering something at midnight and getting it by 4am in the morning this is new right this is like if you look at the average age of a phone Ten years ago, is very different than, a, than than it is today, and so we've made certain choices about how we kind of consume and and, and how the you know eco- economy works day to day. And I think with circularity, I think we can figure out how to be more efficient with resources. And for me, it's just the next stage in in evolution in terms of how the economy evolves because it's maximizing the resources that we have and making the most out of it.
1: And so you've got all the stakeholders are now in the room and in the game, and you've given us a great case for all of them to engage and, and told us why they're there and how they're a part of the of the solution. How do you view your total addressable market? like what how big is can this get? And then how do you get there? How do you scale this to to that you know to be so pervasive that everyone's thinking about it? It's you know it, it's in all of our wallets.
0: I think the, the, the really nice kind of, I think, lesson and experience for, for, for myself, but really everyone at, at Future is that we've very quickly been able to have members in, in every state across the U.S. And some folks are with, with Future because it's just a really rewarding debit card and gives you 1% cash back on everything, which is a great deal. So the, the way we are thinking about Future is, is, and the way we we're thinking about the, the types of purchases that you get Cashback on is 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 with a view to develop a mainstream financial product yeah. that rewards people in their in their everyday lives, and so that's why you get five percent cashback at Goodwill and Patagonia at Tesla superchargers and you know the Greyhound bus yeah. uh, because we realize that folks have different opportunities in their lives in terms of their their budget, their 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 spending. They have different kind of Baskets that that they're spending money on day to day, right? For someone it's charging the car regularly, yep. uh, for someone it's taking the metro every day, and so we we very deliberately thought about cashback in a way that is kind of the most accessible basket where where everyone kind of has an opportunity to to, to benefit. And now, in terms of how we're looking to to roll out, is is really showing up at the point of sale. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've seen brands on the finance side that I think have been very successful, been able to, to kind of grow very quickly. And I think Future has a, a real case to kind of show up at the checkout, yeah. because we are rewarding you for doing things that are that are better for for the planet and kind of really taking the kind of carbon price and making it visible and present when you think about your day-to-day purchasing decisions. That's that's kind of how we think about scale in the in, in the next kind of few months and, and years.
1: And as you are scaling and as you think back to the the first chapter and the the first onboarded partners, I'm curious, you know, you've you've covered a lot of different companies, a lot of different industries, a lot of different sectors have, have signed on. And I'm curious what you've gleaned about how different sectors are thinking about or approaching or trying to tackle things. Because not many people have the opportunity to cross sector like this and to work with retail, fashion, as well as travel, as well as a host of others. So what have you learned about the various industries?
0: First of all, I am extremely spoiled in a way that I think at at Future, we've been extremely fortunate to be able to work with, with really exciting Brand partners right from the, from the beginning. And so, you know, Rod Power Bikes was, was one of the, the, the first ones. And I love how they made e-bikes more kind of widely usable, right? They think about the utility aspects. They think about, well, how do you use this if you're, you know, dropping your kid off at daycare or you're going on a grocery run? Like, what are the kind of elements that have to be present in the bike? If this is kind of an everyday transportation mode and not just something, you know, you're kind of racing on on the weekend. I loved seeing that. I loved how they, they were able to innovate and evolve that, that mission. Just salad Mm -hmm. is another one, which has this kind of really exciting way to think about the bowl and all the kind of cutlery and everything that you're using when you, when you consume food over lunch and, you know, you're going out with your colleagues and you're grabbing a, a salad and they've really innovated. How that works, how you can create circularity by launching a, a bring back bowl that you can actually reuse in a, in a smart way to dramatically cut carbon in all of their, their restaurants. Back market has made buying refurbished devices seamless and makes it cool and exciting and rewarding. And so we've, we've been fortunate to kind of see a lot of that in, in our day to day interactions. And I think what, what we're now seeing is this play out with, with bigger brands as well that are looking to really innovate across their, their supply chains. I mean, we launched this collaboration with, with Volkswagen and, you know, they have a great deal on, on their car, but they also give you three years of free charging, right? So at, at every Walmart in our neighborhood and, and every mall, I can now charge my car for free, which makes it just really a lot more accessible for, for folks uh, across the country. And I think the pace of change, the pace of disruption and innovation in this space is really accelerating, which has been fun to see.
1: We talked a little bit about it, and mm-hmm. even think about the Volkswagen example. Mm-hmm. You know, Historically, the sustainable economy has, has not enjoyed a great brand reputation, <laughs> um, not hit it out of the ballpark yet. And you're, seeing, you're starting to see some companies who are phenomenal marketers— who are beginning to, it seems, mm-hmm. apply that marketing prowess to their product or service or or lane in the sustainable economy. And Volkswagen's, I think, a perfect example, right? But I'm curious how you how you see or or what we what you think we need to do to help shift the perspective or rebrand the sustainable economy so that it's appealing and exciting to consumers and something that's top of mind and not something that's seen as cost cost prohibitive or subpar in terms of quality? Like, how do we...
0: Yeah, I, I, th- I think for us, I think what, what we're learning is it's important to to really look at climate and climate action as as a smart economic choice. That is beyond politics. It's beyond certain ideologies and, you know, left and right and blue or red. It's just, you know, it just makes sense. Whether you are in Texas or you're in... In California or, or up in, in Idaho, it makes sense to pay less on your utilities, right? It just does. It makes sense to pay less at the pump. And I think it's that simplicity to kind of come back to, you know, the very immediate direct benefits that, that folks can enjoy from that lifestyle. I think that will help move, move the needle. I think the other piece is just, you know, I mean, you, you go into some of these EVs and, Yeah. I mean, they're just awesome pieces of equipment, right? I mean, they are just better and more fun to drive and faster and sportier. And, and so, yeah, let's, let's kind of talk about the, the benefits because once millions and millions of people embrace these benefits, I think the, you know, the impact will be there. And I think we've just, you know, like as a, as a movement, it's been challenging right it's it, like it's not the most exciting way to kind of show up that like, consumers don't like to be told what they can't do and i think that's often how the climate movement has has been experienced and i think that has to change and and we are now in a position where we have the tools and the new technologies to really celebrate all the awesome stuff that we can do that you know hits a double bottom line in, in the end of the day
1: so that's kind of where i want to go next thinking about kind of future as a company you know, no company sustains unless they can sustain profitability over the long haul. <laughs> and yet, you obviously have a very you know, important alignment with purpose in making the world a better place. So doing good and doing well, which is what we talk a lot about on this podcast. And so I'd love to get your take on just how you think businesses should think about the opportunity to make decisions that are both good for the company's bottom line, but good for the world.
0: From a business perspective, I think we are now in in a generation where I think authenticity is key, and inauthenticity can get punished very quickly and sometimes very very severely. You know, we're looking to hold ourselves accountable for it at Future Every Day. Is that we think about every brand that we move onto the ecosystem to kind of really see: look, are they really making a meaningful contribution? To decarbonizing our, our lives, or is there some greenwashing going on? And so I think we, we have a team that looks at this, that looks at this very, very carefully. And I think we will see more and more companies, I think, embrace that level of, of authenticity where they realize, look, let's just accept the high carbon price and let's just figure out how we can innovate ourselves out of that and how we can adapt to a rapidly disrupting world where carbon and climate are becoming more and more important to how we look at risk, how we look at purchasing, how we look at our stock market value at the end of the day. I think that's where we're headed. I think some companies are embracing this faster than others. But for me, that's the kind of trajectory that we're moving towards.
1: Yeah. You know, you talked about how this how this all started in your own personal path, and I know it's not always easy for folks to conceptualize like, how to cut their their carbon footprint. And I've seen on some social media like you've done some DIY Halloween stuff, and
0: <laughs> yeah, that was fun. <laughs> My son was excited because you know he suddenly got all these like. <laughs> Uh, you know all these likes, and he was like, "Oh, whoa, this is fun."
1: <laughs> <laughs> but how, how would you kind of give folks a couple pointers to just get started? And also, part of that actually, I want to. You just said you know your son got so excited with seeing the positive affirmations. Not just how can how can folks get started, but how can folks actually also cross generationally work with the next generation to to keep this going, and or. To take from them the lessons that the next generation is already learning and shouting in our ears to try to get us to do.
0: I love the the, the question. Thank you. And, and I think if you if you kind of look at, at all of our our socials, which is uh, at the future card, we do provide kind of everyday examples. You know, from biking to electric driving to solar to secondhand shopping to washing your laundry on a different cycle and getting the same result. Um, that are constantly kind of helping you save cash and and carbon. And I think, honestly, part of what's been super fun for us is just to experiment yeah. with different things, right? So, you know, I'll, I'll give you one random example. As we thought about Impact, you know, we have school-age kids, and we all consume a lot of milk, like gallons and gallons every week for, you know, breakfast and, and everything else. And so we got seven different kinds of non-dairy milk and the kids hated most of them and they liked one of them. And so we started buying that particular brand and that's kind of what we shifted to, made a significant uh, difference. I think what's important is the opportunity to have conversations with your kids. You talked about the other generation that you want to have anyway. Like my kids constantly want the latest devices. I'm... Talking about reborn tech and refurbished tech, and now if they make their birthday list, they no longer go on Amazon or Apple; they go on Back Market. And sorry, that was a very shameless plug for <laughs> one of our partners, but, but 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 it's true. And then we have conversations around like why are we doing this, like what's the impact? Like we talk about e-waste, we talk about carbon, we talk about you know water pollution and and the like. And so it's been a, a really great tool to talk to my kids in a way that is kind of very direct. You know, they're also always watching how many points I have accumulated on my future card because they all have their kind of stuff from Futures Rewards Shop, where we kind of feature climate-friendly rewards, which, you know, they've kind of have picked out for themselves. I mean, we've seen amazing stories across our members where they've kind of taken meaningful action. And the thing I love most of all, is when I get the response and they, like, oh yeah, that wasn't hard at all, or you know that actually saved me some cash, or I hadn't thought about this before. I think that's that's where we feel that we're adding value because we we kind of start conversations that are a little bit different and and ultimately lead to lead to positive outcomes.
1: I want to kind of end with a question that I ask everybody mm-hmm. um, every day. There's depressing headlines that we read. And in particular, when it comes to the environment, the changing climate, and there are a lot of them, and and they sometimes seem insurmountable. And sometimes our government entities do that on purpose, I think. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The IPCC is, you know, it's a tough document to read. It does not leave you with a lot of hope. And so I think for many... It's demotivating. It, it seems too big yeah, to like, take on. Y- and yeah. My my yeah. individual impacts, you know, as a consumer, even as a business owner, they're they're not going to. You know, I can't I can't fix this. This is too too tough, too big, too systemic, right? They. they you said earlier, for this to actually succeed, it means consumers mm-hmm. and governments and the e O's and companies, mm-hmm. big and small, are all going to need to be a part of the solution, right? And so. How do we inspire folks to move beyond that defeatism?
0: So I think for me, the focus is always around championing and celebrating what you're able to do with your own decisions in your own life and, and the kind of power that that, that has. As, as I think about the, the system, right, we are the system. I mean, the system is just you, me and everybody else and everyone around us. And I think what we don't talk enough about, we are collectively making dramatic choices all the time. We used to go to an office and then we don't. We used to buy clothes that, you know, we would wear a lot. And then we buy clothes that, you know, we wear one time and then we throw it away. So they're kind of systemic choices that we make every day. And we, we do have the opportunity to dramatically move the needle if we act together in, 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 in concert in a, in a, in a very mm. kind of deep and, and meaningful way. And so every time, like, you know, my kids ask me this question, it's like, well, you know, what can we do? You know, I constantly kind of take them on a, like a little history journey to show how profound the change has been in just a short period of time. My kids are black, True. right growing up in America, and obviously we're, we're still dealing with, with, with enormous challenges on a daily basis. But if you look at what has been accomplished and, 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 and what has been changed in historically a relatively short amount of time, I think you know the sky's the limit in terms of what we can do to kind of innovate ourselves out of it and, and kind of really, really move into a completely different direction. But it has to be real. Like we have to do things that are non-marginal, that really move the needle in a big way.
1: What a great way to wrap up the conversation. Huge thank you to Jean-Louis for joining me today. Consensus and Conversation is hosted by me, Connor Gon. The episode is produced by Will Gatchell, Chandler Bramstead, and Jeff Rock. Executive produced by me with editing from reasonable volume. Special thanks to Consensus Creative Director Kate Tucker and Strategist Patrick Gallagher. Don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. See you next week.